Hello, I'm Patrick, and I am an alcoholic. I am also a child of an alcoholic, a um, child of those who were children of alcoholics as well, and I, I do feel like all of that is important to my story. Um, I grew up in you know, a nice neighborhood in Connecticut, in suburban Connecticut, and it was just my older sister and I. For a time, both my parents worked. My dad, I don't know that I was aware that he was coming home drunk, but I knew every night you kind of just waited for the front door to shut or to slam, and my sister and I would hide underneath the covers, and he would come in, and he always had this sort of like old... Irish like bar song that he would sing and, and as he got closer and closer to the door he would be finishing this this song that he was reciting and then he would sort of like burst open through the door and and I just remember as a kid being like so afraid of hearing that door the front door open up and knowing that dad was going to be home um, and then my little sister was born and then my little brother was born and we moved um, a few towns over and my mom stopped working and she took care of us full time. Then there were a number of sort of scenes from that age. I think I was like seven or eight that I remember where I could see more clearly and I can remember now the effect that alcohol was having on um, our family relationship, on the relationship between my parents. My dad and my mom would have these sort of blowout arguments and he would come home at night, not as much singing happily, but but screaming and, you know, stomping his feet. I think I remember one time, it was hard to tell, but it seemed like he was just bawling his eyes out, crying in the kitchen, and my mom was standing over him, and that was what I remembered for the most part, um, and I, I remember committing that to memory and thinking, like, whoa, what is this, like, alcohol stuff, and what is it doing? And because my parents then sat me down, my older sister and I, um, my dad got sober and they sat us down from like a really young age and said, hey, you know, so this runs in our family. Uh, my mom's dad um, was an alcoholic. My dad's dad was an alcoholic. Um, there are more people in my extended family that are sober or still using alcohol and drugs um, and trying and failing and trying and failing and trying and failing to get sober and stay sober than there are people who are non-alcoholic or not a drug addict. So um, from that point on, you know, there was no more alcohol in my house, really. My mom, she drinks the occasional glass of wine, no big deal. Um, but my dad would start going to uh, these meetings. And I, I didn't think much of it. Um, I didn't really know what it was. But I knew that certain days of the week, he would be at meetings or certain mornings, he would leave early and he would be at meetings. And he and I spent a ton of time together. I played ice hockey. Um, we had long, long car drives together. And um, unfortunately, uh, my dad was just really, really angry and rageful. Um, and so I think from a young age, I just never really quite learned or I never quite developed any like distinct sense of self or sense of what was right or wrong because I was consistently being given mixed signals and mixed information. 
Um, I'd be in the car, you know, for like an hour and a half, two hours with my dad after a game, and he would say, um, you know, this sucked, that sucked, you should quit hockey. Um, if you don't go and practice your shot, uh, you might as well, like, never pick up any sport again. And so I'd go home and I'd practice, and then he'd come outside and he'd be like, what are you doing? Like, you can't just go and practice and get good in one day. Like, take it slow. And it's clear to me now that in getting sober, he was, he had so much sort of like pent up hatred towards himself. And when he saw himself in me, it was really hard for him to deal with it. So, and when he, he would give me advice. And then when he saw me listening to his advice, it almost made him uh, angrier. And as a kid, that just, that made no sense to me. And I was bewildered. Um, And I don't know that I knew that it was right or wrong. It's hard to say. I knew that I was upset with my dad. I knew that I was a moody kid. I had some trouble fitting in with kids at school. Um, I had like a sort of tendency towards dependence on my friends. I I was scared to be home. I was like really afraid of my parents, especially my dad. So I would just stay out at kids' houses as long as possible. Every day after school, I'd go to a different kid's house and um, every weekend possible, I'd try to sleep over at other kids' houses, and I just didn't want to be home. I wanted to be somewhere else. I wanted to be distracted, to be engaged in video games or watching wrestling or listening to music or anything possible um, other than sitting at home. And and like I had trouble keeping friends for that reason because I think they would get tired of me somewhat quickly, and they would be like, "Okay, like we can only take so much of this. Like time to go home." And then I'd regroup and make another group of friends. Um, and you know, through middle school, I think I had a tough time, and I developed these sort of um, developed these like ticks and started seeing a child therapist. Um, I would like crack my knuckles, crack my neck and do little things. And it was clear that I was developing or had some sort of like anxiety uh, and and like some panic. Uh, and it was it was just really hard for me to cope with the world. And, and I was experiencing a ton of pain and I had no idea how one would verbalize that or I had no idea how one was supposed to express that. And, you know, I went and saw a therapist, but I still I had no clue how to express myself to a therapist as like a seventh grader or an eighth grader. And I was still, you know, going on these long trips with my dad and hearing about like all the things I did wrong and was bad at. Um, He would stand at the uh, glass during my games and scream and shout and um, all this sort of like violent, abusive behavior that everyone was turning a blind eye to, which really confused me. And so I just assumed that that was how adults acted. And, and I also developed at a young age this idea that, like, would later come back to me of, okay, this person is sober, um, and this is how sober people act. Like, this this person is going to meetings. This, you know, like, they began to tell me a little bit more about what, what he was doing at these meetings and So later, like in my life, way later when it came time to get sober, I was like, well, why would I ever want to be like that? Like if that's what getting sober causes, like that's the last thing I would ever want in my life. And I was really slow to begin drinking. Um, You know, my parents had given us a lot of warnings. Um, They were very concerned that my older sister and I might start drinking and like it too much. And, you know, kids started drinking in like eighth grade and Um, I decided not to hang out with those kids and 
more and more kids started drinking in ninth grade and I would stay home and I would sort of like really diligently practice hockey or watch hockey at home and I just didn't want to be around alcohol. I was really afraid of it. And the first time I got drunk that I can remember was sort of the summer after ninth grade, right before my sophomore year of high school. And I thought it was going to be this thing that like changed. Um, I, I don't know. I wasn't sure what was going to happen once I first started drinking, but I was really afraid. And then I remember my older sister's boyfriend bought my friends and I a bunch of beers and I drank however many and I got drunk and it felt so good. It just felt so pleasant. Um, and I wanted to stay up all night. I remember it was 5 a.m. and everyone else was going to bed, all of my friends that had drank before. And I was like, come on, like, let's stay up. Let's keep drinking. And I just wanted to keep going and keep going. And I started drinking a little bit more occasionally, but I had this idea of control that in my sophomore year, I said, I will never drink more times than I can count on my 10 fingers. So, you know, if I got to five, like halfway through the year, I said, well, as long as I, you know, cut it off before I get to like nine or 10. And and I did stay under 10 during that school year, but I could see I was kind of developing this idea that like I really, really liked drinking. And it just, I had no comparison really. Like my friends and I didn't sit around and say, this is how it makes us feel. But I just knew that it, it felt better than anything else I had ever experienced. It sort of gave me that freedom, and I didn't know it at the time. I didn't have that sort of language for it. But it gave me this freedom, and, you know, I um, I felt less than, like I said. I, I always felt like I didn't fit in. I always felt like an outsider. Even within a group of who I might consider my best friends at school, I was still a little bit paranoid. Like, do these guys really like me? And you know, if I was dating girls, I was always worried, like, am I inadequate? Like, does this person actually like me? Um, there's so many other people that they should like more than me. And when I was drunk, at least temporarily, I could then talk to people. I could talk to girls when I went to house parties in high school. And um, I could talk to other kids that I might not normally talk to. And I just felt like a totally different person. Like, I felt like I spent a lot of time in my room imagining this sort of perfect like fantasized life for myself and when I was drunk it seemed like that life was coming through where I was just at ease and uh, moving through the world like really how I imagined other people did like without tension and without anxiety um, and that sort of just um, so I was really slow and then uh I went away to boarding school to play hockey, which was just sort of normal for my town. Like, you went away to school, you repeated a year. I was sort of on the track to go and ultimately play college hockey. And I was also just tired of people in my town. Um, I mean, I was cynical, still very much can be. It's sort of like a default state, but I was, I could see very clearly that I was growing up in this sort of wealthy bubble and. I was just really struggling with it and um, just became really disinterested in like the people around me to a certain degree and wanted to have a different experience or to just I just wanted to like make that change. And I thought like, well, if I just go to a different school, I have no history. People will treat me totally different. Um, I can reinvent myself. Essentially, I can be this this person that I've always wanted to be. And I showed up to school and I was still the exact same person for the most part. Um, 
And, you know, without, like, close access to alcohol, despite having drank a bunch of times, I didn't really think about drinking that much. And kids were smoking a lot of weed at school and drinking. And it just, like, didn't really cross my mind that much. Um, So I was able to go without it without thinking about it. And I drank here and there if close friends had it. But I was still so, so, so deathly afraid of my parents. And, like, if I get kicked out, if I get suspended, what will happen? So I went through that whole year and and then things just sort of like took off the summer after. Um, I was 14 or 15 years old. I made friends with a bunch of kids that summer who had older siblings who were able to buy us alcohol. They liked to drink. um, So it sort of was a signpost for me like, oh, drinking is okay. Like you can drink more frequently. Like these kids I thought were really cool and they were doing it. And it was like in the course of that summer, I went from just you know, like a couple beers to I was the kid who um, was always like drinking too much way too quickly and then like sticking my fingers down my throat to make myself vomit so that I could drink more. And I began to see that things like that were sort of neat party tricks that everyone really liked and drew a lot of attention and got me a lot of what seemed like positive attention. Um even though I would then like wake up the next morning and we would just sort of recap and I would be like, oh, that was really funny. Like, but then also just had this sort of like low grade sense of dread of just like, God, what, like, what did I do? Like, did my parents, like, what if they knew about this? They didn't like raise me to be doing stuff like this. And and so there was always this like extreme elation of getting really drunk and being the center of attention. And then there was this like, horrible letdown um and I remember like the night that I first blacked out it was my parents never ever went away they never left like their kids on their own or even with the babysitter I think they were so worried that we were gonna like you know do something out of control even though my older sister is like a total angel like never got in trouble was just like a really good student so um they went away in the first night I drank more than I ever had in my life I blacked out um I woke up the next morning or I woke up the next afternoon at like 2 p.m. You know, I was like 14, 15 years old and uh, covered in my own vomit. And uh, I was still just like so sick for that whole day and the following day after that as well. And after that uh, experience, I just began to black out more and more frequently. And, And I remember I would think like, well, if only I hadn't gone so far that one time, like as if I could, if I could have just like gone back and reversed the past, I wouldn't black out as if it was this thing that I could go back and, and control retroactively. But it was clear to me that, or it's clear to me now. And, and I think I knew a little bit, like I was, that was the first of many lines that I sort of crossed was, um, that like first blackout and I wasn't sure if my friends blacked out and it was like a funny joke at that age you know we we do like really stupid stuff or like girls would do stupid things and they'd always be like oh I don't remember um you know like you'd hook up with someone at a party and then everyone would just be like oh I don't remember so I think like when people said that they weren't blacking out they just said that as an excuse but like I began to not remember any of my nights for the most part and I went back to school junior year um, to that same boarding school and I had like drank a lot that summer, but I trained super hard for hockey. I'd put a lot of time in 
And um, a friend of mine who I had played hockey with, who was older than me, was at a college down the street from my boarding school. Um, he was a freshman, and he contacted me, and he was like, hey, if you ever need anything, let me know. So he started delivering alcohol to our dorm, just um, like cheap vodka. And really quickly, I went from only drinking every once in a while to at school to like laser quick just like every single night we were drinking we had it my parents weren't watching me we had specifically my friends and I chosen a dorm to live in where there was no supervision our dorm parent was this like 22 year old recent grad from Brown and he just didn't want to deal with it he just turned a blind eye he stayed in his dorm um even if there was like the scent of alcohol he would sort of just be like okay just like go to bed go to bed so we were just sort of immune and without those sorts of like concerns or limitations of me like I need to be um, sober for my parents sober for this or that like I drank until I threw up every single night Um, and I made a group of friends that wanted to do the exact same things and it's just like so bizarre to think back now that we were just like these 15, 16 year old kids in this school and they were just letting us run absolutely wild. Um, I gained like 30 pounds in my fall semester at school. I showed up to hockey tryouts and my coach was like, what the hell happened to you? Like, what is wrong with you? And I just always wonder, like, did anyone have any clue? Um, I I have no idea, but, um, I began to privilege drinking over hockey and and it just like happened super, super fast that all of a sudden it was like all my ambitions of playing hockey in college were gone. And it was like, oh, this is like what I want to do. Like I want to drink and like hang out with these kids who like do all sorts of different types of drugs. And and like there was so much positive attention that came from that, both from like guys admiring it and um, girls as well. And I still had this like sort of underlying depression that was just like always there waiting for me. And so um, I got in a relationship at the end of my junior year in high school. I started dating this girl and she drank like I did um, and we were just off and like her family was really wealthy and I went on vacations with them and they showed me this style of life that I'd never seen. You know, no one in my house drank and I went out with them and they drank at lunch, they had cocktails, they drank at dinner, they drank afterwards, the parents blacked out, they got really drunk, they drove drunk, like, on their sort of little island that they lived on, um, like, their summer island, and no one cared about anything, and I was like, this is it, like, this is what I'm aspiring to, um, I just want to be one of these people who just, like, gets drunk all the time, because it felt so good to me, and it was just filling my life with like so much excitement, but there were then the sorts of like horrible, terrible letdowns where like I had put my entire faith in this girl sort of like saving my life essentially. And then inevitably we were so young, like she, um, you know, there'd be infidelities. She'd cheat on me. I'd cheat on her. And then we'd have these blow up fights and verbal abuse. And, and she would like hit me. And, um, there was just like, it was, it was just, volatile at all times like always always volatile and that carried into my senior year I I began to drink uh, to drink every single night like I had to have it um I started to smoke a lot of weed too with my friends um that helped me like chill out and drink a little bit less but 
everything I did, I became obsessed with. Like I smoked weed and I wanted to smoke more and more and more. I wanted to get into the sort of like culture of it. Um, I wanted to know everything about it. Uh, I made more friends who we'd go to their house on weekends. Their parents didn't care about anything. They would let us smoke and drink freely in the house. Like they had friends who sold a lot of weed. We began to pick up more drugs and and take those. And, you know, I was playing in all my hockey games, super hungover and still drunk the next morning. And it was all just a big joke to my friends and I. We thought it was the funniest thing on earth. Um, We were very self-deprecating. Um. We just sort of like, I don't even know how to describe it. We took like all the opportunity we had been given and made it into a huge, huge joke and like a big F you to the world. Um, And that went on all year. And I remember there was like one particular instance where it was it was sort of like or there were two instances that were shocking to me in my senior year. One was. Um, I had broken my foot, so in the spring I couldn't play lacrosse, and without that sort of, like, thing that I needed to do every day um, after school, like, oh, I can't get drunk during the day because I have to go to lacrosse practice, Um, and on the weekends I had taken to drinking in the mornings when I could and drinking all day, I... uh, I just drank all day. Like I drank during class. I drank through lacrosse practice, standing on the sidelines, like vodka out of a little Gatorade bottle. And then I drank at night. And, and I remember like, I just woke up one afternoon and I was in my bed and everything had been ripped off the walls of my bed. I was covered in like my own clothes, the posters from my walls, everything. And I had no recollection of what had happened or when I'd started drinking last, when I'd stopped drinking uh, I didn't know what I had missed, where I had been, and that scared me so, so much, but I I just, like, didn't really know who to talk to about it. I didn't know who to tell, and I said to my girlfriend at that time, I was, uh, eight, I was 17 or 18, and I said, like, I'm done. I'm going to quit drinking, and um, she was like, great. Like, I'm so proud of you, and that lasted, like, all of one day, maybe? And then my friends started drinking, and I picked right back up. And um, another time, I was staying at my, like, best friend's house over Memorial Day weekend. So um, it would have been, like, 11 years ago, actually, like, to the day. And I was having a fight with my girlfriend. I went out, and, you know, I drank at her. I purposely got as drunk as humanly possible. And um, I woke up the next morning, like, on his couch in his family's living room totally naked, and I didn't know, like, how I had gotten there. And I, I like, walked with him. He covered me in a blanket. We walked back into the kitchen. His family was, like, eating breakfast. And all of my, like, urine-soaked clothes were strewn across the floor. Uh, and I wasn't I, – I had no idea what had happened. And this friend who had just been suspended from school, like, halfway through the year for drinking um, was like, you crossed the line, man. He was like, they made me go to, re- like – they made him go to some sort of rehab um, or courses on alcohol education. And he was like, the thing they told me is like, once you cross the line, you can never go back. And like, you cross the line. And I was like, wait, like what? Like I was pretty devastated um, because I still was so dead set. I was like, I'm not going to be like my dad. I'm not going to be like my dad. I'm not going to be like my grandfather. Um, I'm not going to be like these aunts and uncles or my cousins that I have who don't drink. I was like, this is the thing that is literally creating my entire life. Like 
My entire identity was being based off the kid that drank more than anyone else who did, like, insane, stupid stuff when he was drunk, um, was always sort of, like, down to do whatever so long as alcohol was involved. Um, And I had to start really thinking about that, like, how much longer can I go on? Um, Like, when I was drinking and on like a good run like I was soaring and I was having so much fun but it was like the second I woke up and and I began to have those moments more and more and more the second I woke up there was just this like fear that just like wrapped itself around me like what did you do like did you get in trouble um because yeah I don't know I just couldn't control myself anymore um and to ride out the end of the school year like I knew that if I drank, I was at risk to get like suspended or expelled. And I was like, there's three weeks left in school. I'm fine. Like, I'm just not going to drink. And so my friends and I didn't drink for three weeks. And of course, like our lives improved dramatically uh, in those three weeks. And, and I looked back at that and I said like, well, I didn't drink for three weeks. So clearly I'm not like, I don't have any trouble with alcohol. And we went off and graduated and sort of just partied a month straight. Um, And at the end of that month, like literally just drinking all day, every single day with like zero parental supervision, uh, I had a total mental breakdown. Um, I just like I didn't know what was happening to me. But all of a sudden one night I was home with some friends. We were just smoking a little bit of weed and drinking. And I began to feel like the world around me was like moving, moving super fast. Like I was in a washing machine or something in spin cycle. And um, I didn't know how to slow it down. And it freaked me out. And I just like drank myself to sleep. And then I woke up in the morning and I still felt just like really weird. And something was off. I didn't know what was wrong. And um, that continued. And of course, I kept drinking. I was like, well, I'll solve this by drinking. And, And again, like... I was having these fights with my girlfriend and I thought like, well, if I can just, uh, if I can just like go back to the drinking that I was doing during the year where I was like the center of attention and and everyone loved me and things were good with my girlfriend and I, and then it became competitive. It was like, I'd be looking at her pictures on Facebook of her and her friends out. And I was like suffering, like sitting in my room crying, like couldn't get drunk, um, without this like panic starting and then even when I didn't drink I just had this panic and uh, I didn't know what it was and I was like my life is literally over like if I can't drink or I can't enjoy alcohol like I used to like there's there's no point in anything and like the world just got darker and darker and darker in those few months before I was to go away to college and just thinking every single day of killing myself and not really knowing how to do it, but not wanting to be alive and not knowing how to speak about it to anyone in my family and not really wanting to speak about it to anyone in my family. Um, I didn't want anyone to intervene because I still had this sort of like glimmer of hope that like I am going to one day just get drunk and it's going to feel like it used to. Um, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to be the center of attention like I was in high school. I'm going to get everyone to love me through like drinking more than everyone else and partying more than anyone else. Um, And it just never happened. And I just kept pushing the limits more and more and more. Uh, And I showed up at college and I was a wreck. Like I was literally, I basically had like 
uh, an extended panic attack, and it just went on for months. And I kept drinking. Um, and I went and saw the therapist at school, and they put me on medication, and that um, lowered my anxiety a little bit. But I was still so controlled, like by everything everyone else did to me. I was so reactive. If my girlfriend called and said. Uh, You know, if my girlfriend called and I heard like a guy in the background, I was like ready to go and like kill myself because I had no idea how to like process emotions and how to deal with emotions. Um, And I just constantly felt like everyone was getting the best of me, like everyone sort of owned me. Everyone just did with me what they wanted. Um, And I was always like the loser. Everything was a competition and everyone was beating me. Um And it just went on like that that year. And I came close a lot of times to just like like going through with killing myself. Um, And I was still seeing therapists there. And like I still just couldn't say like I think I have a problem with alcohol or I'm drinking too much because still in my mind like that was the one thing. Um, And I like was like drawing all these charts of like when I first blacked out, when I drank too much this time, that time, thinking that if I could just, that there was some sort of like missing bit of information that I could excavate. And then if I had found that like missing thing, I could just like fit it into the puzzle and then I would feel normal again. Um, And I felt every day like the world was turning over on itself. I couldn't sleep at night. I was a disaster. Um, It was really, really scary. And um, eventually... It was early March, so it was March 2008. Um, I came home because I was, like, suicidal and struggling, and my, my mom brought me to see a um, another therapist. And f- for some reason, like, I felt like being a little bit more open with him. And uh, he asked, um, how much do you drink? And um, I said, I don't even know, but I, I, I like gave him at least half maybe like half of what I drank I probably said like oh I drink like two or three beers a night or something and he was like oh that's a lot for you know an 18 year old and um he was like what about your family like uh any parents siblings cousins who are alcoholics and I was like well my dad is and like my dad's dad and my mom's dad and this is and he was like he asked me a few questions on alcohol and I I must have I guess I didn't adequately plan for them, and uh, he caught me off guard, and he was like, you might have a problem with alcohol. It's possible that you have alcoholism, um, and I don't know. It's just the strangest thing. Like, I was just ready at that moment to give up. Um, the night before I saw that doctor, I was still at school. Um, it was snowy. It was icy. I kept falling over. I kept drinking and drinking and drinking, but couldn't get drunk. I just got, like, off balance, and I had gained a ton of weight. I was like, I just felt heavy and bloated and unhealthy. And like I had gotten in fights. My face was all scratched up. And it was just not the way I imagined my life going. Um, And so he said it. And I was like, oh, great. Like, that's it. I I just stopped drinking now. Um, And I went home that night. And I think my doctor had said, like, either you need to go to rehab or detox. Um, Or he was like, you need to go to rehab and detox and you need to go to AA and that sort of thing came back to me I was like AA like my dad did that stuff and my dad is still like such an asshole so why would I ever do that and uh, 
I went home and I told my parents like, okay, I quit drinking. And, uh, they were, you know, we talked about it for a while. I gave them as little information as possible about what my drinking had been like. I said I had blacked out a few times and, um, you know, that things weren't going so well. I still had no way of like articulating my emotions and, uh, um, I quit drinking and I actually, from that day, I never drank again, but like I stayed sober for a short period of time. Um, I was home for a week. I started to clear up. I went back to school a month later. My friends were like, well, you can still smoke weed, right? And I was like, yeah, I'm sure I can still smoke weed. And like something about the alcohol leaving my body had made me feel so amazing. I had so much energy back. Um, and I was just like soaring for like the next eight months. I was smoking weed again. I smoked more and more and more weed. I was just so high all the time. And like everything seemed like it was going perfect. And inevitably, of course, it came crashing back down again. Like I started getting paranoid, anxious, panicked, and I started selling weed. And I thought the cops were after me. And I thought every van was like an unmarked cop car. And and like in a num, I think it was two or three years that that went on. Um, and I was still that whole time, like looking at my friends who still drank and went to like big parties and telling them like, oh, you're like being controlled by alcohol. Like you don't realize how bad alcohol is. Like just me like sitting at home alone during college, like smoking weed and being high by myself and like chastising my friends for like going out and having a good time because I couldn't see that it wasn't just like, it wasn't just that like alcohol was evil. It was that like I was literally incapable of doing any substance without, uh, then continuing to do it and following it as far as I possibly could. And after, so I was at that school for like three years and it it just got so dark and I was on so many different meds and nothing was working because I wasn't stopping smoking. And I went home for a semester. I worked, um, I began to really, really control my drug use. And at that point, like not frequently and never daily, um, I was mixing in like painkillers and anti-anxieties, especially because my panic was still like pretty high. Um, no thanks to smoking tons of pot. And, uh, and I, I just wasn't ready to give it up. Um, I transferred to a new college and I thought like, this is where I changed my life. And I went to an AA meeting and they basically told me like, well, you're you're not, they told me like, you can't really like continue smoking weed every day if you're getting sober in AA. And I was like, what? Like that blew me, like blew my mind. So I didn't go back for a year. Um, Nothing bad happened. I just, just nothing happened. That was my junior, senior year of college. I sat in my dorm room. I went to class. I got good grades. And every single day I waited till 9 PM so I could get stoned. Um, And I thought because I was controlling it so well, because I wasn't like looking out for police, because I wasn't like waking up in my vomit or anything that uh, it was fine. I could just keep on going and going and going. But I was just like my life had gotten so small. I was living in Boston and I did not travel beyond a one block radius. Um, And it was just sad. And like the panic and anxiety started to come back again. And um one day I just was like sitting on my couch at home and I could hear people at night, like on a Saturday night going out, like all the college students. And I was just like, Oh man, this is like not it for me. Um, 
I was sitting on the couch and it felt like my the room was moving around me because I was having like another panic attack uh, and didn't know how to like deal with it. And um, I took all of my stuff. I threw it out. Um, it was right before Thanksgiving break. It was November 20th, 2011. Uh, I contacted a friend from home that I knew had tried to get sober um, a few times. He was a kid that I'd gone to high school with and that um, he was a bit more accelerated than me. He was always always seemed to be a little bit more out of control than me. Um, and so when I contacted him and he was like, oh, I've been sober for I think he'd been sober for like six or seven months. He was like, I'll take you to AA meetings when you're home for Thanksgiving. I was like, oh, man, like if that kid's sober, uh, like what does that mean for me? And I went home and I don't even know, like I I was sure that I didn't want to smoke or drink anymore, but I I don't know that I was sure of anything else. Um, I met up with this friend and like I'll I'll never forget what he looked like before – before he went away to rehab, when I had last seen him, when we were, like, doing drugs at his house, he was, like, skeletal. He looked like a vampire. Um, he, he had no meat on his bones. He was home from school because he tried to kill himself. Um, and we were still just, like, going at it, like, doing drugs. And uh, I saw him now, and he looked, like, healthy. And, like, he was a normal weight. His skin looked healthy. Um and he just looked happy and somewhat serene. He had that sort of like glow in his eyes. And I felt so dead inside at that time. And it was like that, that moment right there that I was like ready to believe that this AA thing could work. Because in the year since I went to the first meeting uh, all the way until like a year later when I went back to a meeting, I was still telling myself all this stuff. I was like, oh, AA is like a religious cult. Uh, my dad's Catholic and that's why he goes to AA and everyone there is angry and mean. And like, I still had a very bad relationship with my dad and I still thought that AA had nothing to give me because, um, clearly my dad had not changed. Um, and truthfully, like he really hadn't, unfortunately, but I found out that he personally, he had just never really like engaged with AA. He went to occasional meetings, um, and I started going to AA and my friend had said, like, well, when you get back to Boston, get a sponsor, do the steps, um, find some kids to hang out with and get into a group. Um, and so I did just that. Like, I didn't know what else to do. And I was so awkward. I had literally lost all ability to socialize. Um, I just like went to these AA meetings in Boston and just like didn't say anything. I stood around outside. Everyone would, like, stand around and talk to each other. I just kind of, like, wandered around and waited awkwardly, hoping someone would talk to me. Uh, and eventually, I went to this young people's meeting a couple times. And, like, finally, I I met a few people there. Some people, like, noticed that I looked new and confused and shook my hand. And I made friends with the person, actually, who um, ended up getting me to come in and, and do this recording. Um, and he was like a big part of my sobriety. He worked at a coffee shop right around from where I lived. Um, you know, I was getting sober in the senior year of college. So, um, didn't seem like the ideal time, but like, then I started meeting all these kids who were sober. Uh, and I couldn't anymore say like, oh, well, no one gets sober when they're, 
uh, 22 or 23 or 24 or whatever, like I was saying, I was meeting tons and tons of people who were like happily sober at that age. Um, and I just like had no excuses left and I just had to sort of like do the AA thing. And, um, I started going and just hanging out with these kids a lot, even though I didn't want to. And I felt really awkward and uncomfortable all the time and had so much like fear of being in social situations. And uh, it was just like a bizarre time. Um, I, I really kind of just like wandered dazed through that first year or two of sobriety Uh like, I did not know what was going on at all. I had sort of, like, lost the ability to do anything in life other than, like, wake up and, like, go to school. Um, I needed people to, like, help me just, like, with very minor social interactions and things like that. And um, my roommate in college was still partying. He was still selling drugs. And... uh kids from AA that I'd become friends with would come over to my apartment and hang out because like I didn't want to like cut ties with my old friends but I didn't want to be around alcohol and drugs and um, like these kids from AA would come to my house and hang out with me and stay the entire party um, just to like be with me and hang out and like be kind and help me like like ease into being sober and still being a person in the world outside of just AA and sobriety and um I don't know I just think back on that now and it's just like incredible that these people had this sort of capacity for like kindness and helping me when they were also so young like some of them were younger than me some of them were like 21 years old uh, and they were just so willing to help me and those were my first examples in AA of like how to be sober or how to like work towards happiness or contentment sober was that like you try to help people and after every meeting they would go up and they'd they'd shake the newcomer's hand and and um they'd bring them out to wherever we were eating and just sort of like talk with them and let them talk about their experience um and they weren't people who told anyone like this is what you need to do like they never told me like this is what you have to do or whatever I just knew that like I heard people talking about doing the steps. Those people seemed like they were doing all right, and I wasn't doing all right. So I did the steps, um, and I kind of did them half-heartedly, and I went away to work at a summer camp. I didn't go to any meetings for, like, three months that summer. I came back, and, like, adjusting back to life in, in Boston um, after being, like, out in the woods at summer camp and not doing anything was so hard for me. I was a substitute teacher at a high school. I was just like, oh my God, in the worst possible situation, newly sober, young, sensitive, just getting like torn to shreds by these kids all day. And uh, I got a new sponsor. We went through like a really intense sort of like version of the steps doing this thing called like, well, I mean, it's just the steps, but went to this meeting called like big book step study and and at the time like still I was so suggestible um like for the most part if people told me like or suggested something I didn't know how to say no I was just like okay that sounds good like let's do that or even if I went and did things and I didn't really feel like they were a good fit for me I, I still had no idea how to say like this feels uncomfortable and like how to talk about that I just always assumed that like if something felt uncomfortable I was wrong and like 
if something wasn't going well for me, that meant like I needed to change something in myself and only then could I uh, be happy. And um, it was the same way in relationships. Like I'd get in relationships and it just like wasn't a relationship that was going to work. And I always thought like, well, if I can just change like this thing about me and that thing about me, um, I always just thought I was like a faulty person and like poorly made. And, and I went back through the steps and that helped me a lot with changing like changing my views of other people's role in my life and seeing like other people were not the source of all of my pain and that like I also had a sort of role to play like you know my my thinking by default is that like these people need to change those people need to change if they did this differently you know if this person would just drive in their lane or that lane or like you know, I have an, any number of ideas about how everyone else in the world should conduct themselves so that I can, like, move more easily and freely through it. And um, going through the steps helped me a lot to see that and to work on that. Um, and making amends was huge for me, too. Like, going back and seeing people that I hadn't seen, all these kids from college that I just, like, abandoned because I couldn't deal with conflict and say, like, hey, man, like, sorry we had that argument um instead of like dealing with an argument when I was in college or whenever I would just disappear from people's lives and stop contacting them stop talking to them but um I think still there was so much stuff to be sifted through in my life and like I'm still sifting through so much stuff um like deep deep into childhood into now and um you know those first two years of sobriety were had there were a lot of ups and downs there was a lot of anxiety and depression um there was a lot of issues with like food which I struggle with still to this day overeating binge eating um saying all the time like I'm gonna get help for this like food thing and never going, never getting help, and then going on extreme diets and losing a lot of weight, um, and, you know, exercising seven days a week and controlling what I ate extremely closely, and I had all these sort of different ways that I was, like, controlling everything in my life, um, or things that I would fall back on to make myself feel, like, good or valuable, um, and then in my third year of sobriety, I, like, was working with a doctor to sort of go off the medication that I'd been on for a number of years at that point. And, and I just, um, I don't know. I just sort of fell apart again. Like I fell to pieces and, and my only, the only thing I knew and what people had told me were like, just do more AA and do it harder. Um, so I was having panic attacks again. I was super anxious. Uh, it was really, 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 really scary time in my life um every day I was thinking like do I need to go check myself into the hospital um at the same time you know I was like I'm sober like I've been three years sober it's not like I can just quit drinking or quit smoking now um like there was nothing I could point to that I could figure out like what's wrong I was like I've done the steps I made amends you know I'm sponsoring people I went to more and more meetings you know I was exercising every day I'd go to a meeting every single day um I would sponsor more people. I'd talk to more newcomers. I went to like, I studied the steps harder. Um, I talked to more people that had more time and I went and spoke at like mental, like at um, like dual diagnosis wards and hospitals. I went and spoke in prisons 
and all sorts of institutions. And uh, those gave me like brief moments of reprieve or brief, you know, like hours of reprieve from this sort of panic and anxiety. And, you know, I was still seeing a therapist and working on like what medication would sort of like level me back off again. Um, and I was just like, it was just like bashing my head against the wall. Um, and I saw so many people in my life just get more and more involved in AA and more involved in the steps and their lives improved. But it was clear that there was like some other stuff that was going on for me. And um, at that time, someone said, have you ever uh, been to like adult children of alcoholics? And I had never heard of that. And a friend and I started going to that for a while. Um, and I could really, really relate to that. I'd never thought that like, aside from me being angry at my dad, I never thought that being a child of an alcoholic and growing up in like a very traumatic and abusive alcoholic environment could have influenced the way that I was still acting that day or still um, behaving or reacting to situations. And, um, so I started to get help for that. And, uh, it was still not necessarily like clearing up. Um, and, and that sort of leads into like where I am today. I was still living in Boston and, and two years ago now I moved to New York city. Um, and so like, I, by that point, I had been through the steps three times. Um, I was sponsoring lots of people. I was going to lots of meetings. I was super involved in AA. And I still had no idea how to make a decision for myself. Um, from a young age, I had been told that every decision I made, no matter what it was, was wrong. And the steps had revealed this to a degree, but I didn't know how to work on it that um I just had this idea all the time that like every decision had to somehow make other people think more positively of me or like 90% of my decisions that I made were to make my parents hypothetically love me more or to make my parents finally see that I was okay. So I thought like, well, if I take this job, my, my dad will love me. If I do this, my parents will love me. If I do that, my parents will love me. So I was just doing all of these things that I didn't want to do my entire life um, up to that point. And I could not see that I was doing them because I was just this sort of like scared child that still just wanted my parents to like think that um, that I was okay. Um, And I moved to New York and like my panic was subsiding, but I was still dealing with it. I'm still dealing. I still deal with it today, like anxiety and panic. Um, And I moved to New York and it sort of put me into collision directly with my dad in a way that uh, I'm very grateful for uh, and a way that's been extremely difficult because, um, you know, I found a new therapist when I moved to New York. Um, I got a new sponsor in AA. I found a new doctor and started taking different medication and all of that has helped me a lot. And, um, I think I also had to like begin opening myself up. Um, in general, I had become like extremely snobbish, um, about AA and recovery for a brief period of time because I was so scared that like, if I didn't get it a hundred percent right, that it wasn't going to work for me. Um, And that was the sort of rhetoric that I was hearing from other people that I was associating with in AA was like, if you don't do it the best and you don't do it exactly right, 
you've got untreated alcoholism. And I was like convinced that what I had was not anxiety or panic or trauma or or anything else. I was convinced that, oh my God, I, I've got untreated alcoholism because I'm, I'm maybe doing this 90% right. So, you know, yesterday when I called like five new guys and went to a meeting, um, but still felt anxious and panicked, like, well, maybe if I had also gone to the gym and then I had also uh, met with the sponsee and I'd, I'd read a little bit more literature in the morning. So I was just like stuffing all these things into my life to try and force good feeling into my life without ever actually looking at like the root or underlying causes. Um, so I moved to New York and I was like, I realized that I was super snobby about like what was a good or bad meeting. And in a way, I was scared of these big meetings like the ones I'd used to go to because I didn't want to like fall into the same sort of habits that I had had. And, and I knew I needed like a softer, like a softer, gentler sponsor and like a group of softer, gentler people who were still doing AA in the way that I had learned when I first came in. But I didn't need to be made f- to feel guilty for not doing things 100% correctly. Um, my entire childhood, I grew up thinking that I was doing things wrong and getting chastised for not doing things correctly. Um, and it just wasn't helpful for me to like think and operate on that basis all the time of like, I'm going to be the number one alcohol, like sober alcoholic in the world. I'm going to be the best ever, like shining example alcoholic. And that's going to cure all of my problems. And then finally I'll feel okay again. Um, And I think, like, that just became increasingly clear once I moved away from um, that, like, past sort of group and began to, you know, meet more people, hang out with more and different people in New York and associate with different people. And and I just began to, like, so much more easily catch that thinking in my head where, like, in Boston, someone would speak at a meeting and, and they might speak for 15 minutes. And in my head, I'd be like, they didn't talk about the steps, like oh my God, like what's wrong with them? And and my fear at that point was mainly that like other people were going to get upset. Like I was, I don't know, I was just worried that like order had to be kept and if order wasn't kept, then like other people were going to get upset and if other people got upset, then then it's not okay. And like if other people think this meeting isn't about the steps, then that means it's not about the steps. And if this meeting isn't about the steps. It means my sobriety is bad. I was going through all these like insane levels of sort of mental gymnastics to make myself feel worse and worse. And, um, it was not doing me any favors. So I think my approach has been a lot more lighthearted, um, and holistic now. Uh, I have always, Um, been sort of like a fan of exercise in general but I think in the past year or two I've seen more clearly how like even on a day when it feels literally like my head's not screwed on straight um, just doing something like exercising can get me can like just get those screws tight in the right way where like it can re-clear my head and get me a little bit focused Um, and I think, you know, that was something that I used to think before, like, well, it's not an AA suggested thing. So like, uh, going to work out is selfish or whatever. Um, and I'm beginning to like see things totally differently. Um, I'm also going to Al-Anon now and looking at that relationship that I have with my dad and other alcoholics in my life and looking at the relationship I have 
in friendships. Like, why do I repeatedly become overly dependent on friends um, to the point where maybe I almost scare them away sometimes? Um, it's it's funny because like I'm sober six and a half years ish now, and um, I feel like I know very little. Um, and I hear people say it all the time, but yeah, it's like every day that passes, the less and less I know. Um, and in a way that's very comforting because the, the less I know, the more that's sort of possible for me and the more things I can sort of like open myself up to, um, and add to my sort of like spiritual, um, to like building a spiritual practice and just, I don't know, I, I want to say like improving because really what I always think of, right, is like I think I have to feel better um, and everything I do follows from that point. I have to feel better, so I got to do this AA stuff, so I got to work out, so I got to go to work, so I got to do this and like I've done a much better job with the help of other people um looking at that sort of thinking like looking at the foundational thinking that I sometimes suffer from that um, no matter how much stuff I do because my thinking is fixated in a very very specific way um, I will never actually like move forward because that thinking is still grounded um, in like something a little bit faulty so I'm like really feeling as if I'm digging deeper and deeper into a like the beliefs and ideas that have created my entire world which is really scary like my inability to make decisions for myself um learning just now when I'm almost 30 years old to say like this is what I want this is what I need um it's it's really scary. Like I still have a really hard time saying this is what I want and this is what I need. I still am really afraid of conflict and I can really struggle with it. Um, but the best thing I think about the past like year, past two years has been my thinking is so much less black and white now and things affect me so much less seriously. Um, I used to be so reactive and everything that happened, I thought it was happening to me and it was happening for a specific reason and um, it was happening because I didn't do things perfectly or I made a mistake, um, I didn't do things good enough, but now, you know, like if I get, if my boss yells at me at work, if someone says they don't like the work that I've produced, um, you know, I also write fiction and I do workshops and if, if people have critiques for my work, which inevitably they always do, like that's the nature of it. I bring my work there to be critiqued. That's the sort of thing where like I used to not be able to recover from that. Um, any critique, any criticism, anyone saying I hadn't done things perfectly, uh, that was like shut it down, see you later. Um, I couldn't deal with it. It could ruin my whole day. It could ruin my whole week. It could ruin a whole month for me. And that's just not the case anymore. Like more and more lately, though, the panic can still come back up. I have not been having full-blown panic attacks for a little while. Um, you know, I still have anxiety here and there, and, and it still comes back up. But um, 
when something happens that I perceive to be negative, it doesn't own me like it used to. Um, I've had some really, really intense and difficult conversations with family members in the past few months. And after all of them, I left thinking like, uh, everything's going to be fine. And before, like even two years ago, however long before, um, any conflict like that, I would have said like, okay, time to never talk to your sister again. Or like, I'm going to show my parents by never talking to them again. I was always thinking of like how to manipulate people back or, um, you know, how to get sympathy or pity or I was always just sort of like plotting. And the other way was like thinking of how am I now going to rearrange my life so that these people who seem upset with me are going to love me again because I didn't think that I could just be myself um, and that people would love me. I really thought that I was totally unlovable and I still really struggle with it, but I'm dealing with that and confronting it head on. Um, And I'm very fortunate that I have a job and um, am able to pay for therapy. So I'm able to get professional help. Um, I still go consistently to AA and I'm involved in AA, um, have a sponsor in AA. I've begun to go more consistently to Al-Anon. and to check out a few other programs, there's like, um, I'm, I'm going to go through, uh, I think it's called a gentler way through the 12 steps that a friend that I've met in another program in Al-Anon has shown me. Um, and it's just like another method of doing the steps of doing recovery. And I think what's best is that like a few years ago, I would have scoffed at the idea of, of trying 12 steps that weren't AA like that weren't the AA 12 steps um and the thing is now like it doesn't mean that I'm like bucking the system or that I'm not a perfect AA member like I'm still involved but I can also like seek other paths and it's totally fine and I don't have to be worried about like what other people are gonna think about me um and if I tell people about it and they do say something or think something then like that's up to me to deal with that and to like not fall back into some hole and think like, Oh my God, I'm wrong. I'm bad. Um, and like my thinking has not gone that way lately. It's been much healthier. Um, the lows are not quite as low, uh, which is, which is pleasant. Um, so I'm just sort of like incorporating all these different things into my recovery and really opening myself up to alternate paths. You know, I've always, um, been pretty consistent about praying and, um, all the sort of things that I've heard that have been suggested to me, um, practicing meditation infrequently. But, um, I think what's most important about the past month, the past year has been, again, just like opening myself up and, and seeing like what comes my way and not sort of like shoving it away. Um, yeah, I, I think that's, what's been best for me. Um, and, and today, um, I'm happy. I still have issues. Of course, I still deal with conflict and confrontation and it's hard for me. Um, but most of the time, I am generally happy. And I think that's the thing that I heard from people when I first got sober. They said, I'm generally happy most of the time. And like, 
that was the greatest revelation I'd ever heard um, in my entire life. I couldn't believe that people were saying that because in my family, what I had seen, people were not happy. That was not the goal, to be happy or kind. Um, the goal was just to work yourself to death, essentially. And, and now I can like take time off from work. I can relax. I can take it easy. Um, and I can be easy on myself. I can love myself and um, definitely can love others as well. So I think that about wraps it up for me. Um, you know, I hope this has been helpful for anyone who listens. And uh, it's been great to be able to talk. Thanks.